with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Welcome to After 9. I'm your host today, Eric Allen, and my guest is Phil Bullio. And we're going to get into uh, the alternate approval process as opposed to going to referendum when the city wants to borrow money. And this is kind of a complicated thing. It was to me anyway. Try to understand it. And it doesn't really work too good for people who are opposed to the city borrowing money, but it works not too bad for the city. So I'm going to just go straight to Phil and get him to get into that, give us some background on it, and so we can start to get an indication of just how this system works. Thanks, Alan. Um, yeah, the alternative approval process, it's basically at its root core. It's a negative billing option marketing program, which basically the process is we're going to do this unless a whole bunch of people come out and say no. Um, and that's what's the, a classic example of a negative billing um, program, um, which of course Canada made illegal many years ago. Once, when the uh, cable companies took it to a new level, um, they would send you a, a, a letter in the mail and say, "If we don't hear from you, we're going to sign you up for the giant package." And then you would start getting invoiced for the giant package because, of course, who opens the all their their junk mail? So there was big uproar, and that was deemed uh, it was deemed you know in Canada you couldn't make, do those initiatives. Um, but of course, municipal governments still have the ability to do that through the AAP, um, which is given to the opportunities given to them by the province. Um, but on top of not just being able to say no, it's a very onerous process to say no. <laughs> you actually need to f- sign a piece of paper. Um, physically, there's no electronic option. Um, you have to drop off the signed piece or fax it if you, if you still have a fax machine anymore, um, to City Hall. Um, and so it's very much set up to make it harder for, if you're, po- for people that are opposed to, to, uh, to have their voice heard. And then there's, uh, in my opinion, a completely unrealistic threshold of, 10% of the eligible voters in the community that need to say no um, for the initiative to uh, not be passed uh, automatically. Um, in Prince George, that's 5,500 people. Um, we typically get around 8,000 people vote in a in an election with all the advertising and publicity. So it's a very onerous task um, to hit and the the advertising requirements that the city needs to do to let the community know that they want to do this initiative is very limited to uh, two or four um, ads on on uh, in the local newspaper and uh, I don't even think they're required to do radio spots um, and then on top of and then they make a post on their uh, city page that stays on the front page for a couple of days and then it's gets bumped down lower so it's it's a very um uh onerous process to to be against um and uh they use it um be you know on their side they say well a referendum the other option is they can go to a referendum because the 
the charter, provincial charter says if you want to borrow X amount of dollars, you either need to go to a referendum or you need to go to uh, the alternative approval process. Yeah, I just wanted to step in on that for a sec, Phil. The, uh, the uh, referendum versus uh, alternative approval process. Now, <clears throat> this process starts when the city wants to borrow in excess of $5 million. They have to either have a referendum or go to the alternate approval process. So they kind of weigh the odds of where they think the wind's blowing, and if it looks like a referendum will do it, then they go for a referendum. If it looks like it went to referendum, they might lose. They like to go to the AAP and hope people can't get enough votes to stop them from borrowing the money, and then they... Uh, they get approval that way. That's the alternate approval thing. So lots of opportunities for dirty pool in this system. And uh, I've gone for, through four or five uh, alternate approval processes over the years, and I can tell you that uh, there's a few there that left a lot to be desired by getting uh, information and help from the city and getting this done. So I just thought I'd just touch on that. Maybe, Phil, you can get into that a bit. Sure. I, I mean, I think... They like to use the AAP, not just because it's easier for them to pass, get what they want put through, but because when you do a referendum, you have to um, sell your message. You need to convince the population that this is a good thing to borrow. And I think, you know, honestly, even the even they would have a hard time convincing people that we should be borrowing money to buy a floor scrubber on a 10-year term like this is this is what's in the latest the latest aap is fifty-five thousand dollars for a floor scrubber you know i i get we need a floor scrubber but that's an operating cost that needs to be repurchased every eight years my feeling is you're going to have one or two years of payments left on that floor scrubber and it's going to be in the junk heap so they have a they're going to they would have a hard time convincing people to vote in favor of borrowing money for these things and would really showcase their inability to budget correctly on these items um which is why you know and i agree when when you want to build a new facility like a pool or like a, a, a arts center um the uh the process you know requires you need to borrow that much money to do a referendum um then they have something more they can sell. They have a tangible item, an asset to the community that they're going to sell. So they go down that road. Um, but uh, again, even the referendum, if you're opposed to it, they don't have to give you the whole story on the referendum. The, uh, the pool downtown is a, a prime example the aquatic center as i call it um is going to be is they went to referendum and said we want to borrow 35 million dollars for a pool uh the community came out and said okay we're in favor of that three days later they say the pool is going to be 45 million dollars so when you say you want to borrow 35 million dollars for a pool the automatic assumption is we're building a 35 million dollar pool so a bit of a bait and switch there um and with no official opposition in municipal politics, there's nobody there to um, try to hold them to task and hold their, you know, make sure that the communication is good. Um, you know, you're, you're, if you're opposed to it, you're battling an unlimited city budget of your money um, to drive the message that it's a good thing to do. 
so even the referendum is um, is heavily weighted in favor of the city that wants to put the initiative forward. But the AAP is virtually impossible to um, to uh, bring down. And I believe if you do bring it down, they can still go to referendum. So they get two kicks at the cat. They can change the message around a little bit. They could pull the, you know, oh, I guess the hot button item was the floor scrubber, so we'll just take that out and, and take another try, right? So um, it's it's uh, it's a very frustrating process, and personally, I don't think it should be allowed in municipal politics that that's an option uh, to go down that route. They should have to go to a referendum if they want to borrow over $5 million. And my belief is even on the referendum they should have to give a they should have to form a committee that's official opposition and give them an, a, a budget to um, to have that because it's all about community um, discussion and engagement um, those big ticket items is what, is what it should be for and just going to say like an example of one of the uh, AAPs we had here a while back was Said he wanted to borrow thirty-two million dollars for I think eleven, twelve. Well, probably eleven different projects. Anyway, some of the stuff that they wanted to borrow money for, I'd never seen before, like the Goose Country uh, culvert uh, was one million five hundred or something. A roof on the SPCA down in Lansdowne. You know, things that would normally just come out of your budget and just shake your head, like why are we borrowing money over fifteen years? especially this amount of money. And uh, anyway, uh, they went to an AAP, but then they came out with 11 different projects on the AAP. So if you use your imagination for a minute, you go to somebody's door to get them to sign this alternate approval process, but they have to fill out the form and sign it 11 times. 11 times. And then their wife has to fill it out and sign it 11 times. And if they got two kids over 18... They have to do the same thing. This is absolutely bizarre. And I talked to the city on that on it, and they seemed to think it was okay. I talked to uh, the municipal authority that's responsible for that in uh, Victoria, and he said he'd never, ever seen one with 11 uh, 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 separate uh, contracts on it. But he, the most he'd ever seen was somewhere on the island that had five in a regional district or something, which you can kind of understand in a regional district. So to me, this was a setup, putting in a few extra insurance things to guarantee that this AAP would fail and they could borrow the money. And they did. We only got just like 3,000 signatures. We needed 5,000. Right. And that one, again, you're, you're 100% correct. Having t- That process was so onerous to explain. And of course... They have in there things that, of course, nobody's opposed. Nobody's opposed to the equipment. I mean, they had breathing apparatus for the firemen, right? Like, okay, you know, I'm not opposed to breathing apparatus for the firemen, but these are operating pieces of equipment that have a 10-year lifespan, again, or maybe it was eight years, I can't remember, that are due. And there's a schedule. You know they're coming up. Budget the money to replace those pieces of equipment. You have a asset recovery program where every four years you replace 25% of your, your breathing apparatus and you're all good. So they put those in there and of course, you know, people are going, well, we need that. I'm not opposed to that. Right. But nobody's opposed to the equipment. We're opposed to having to borrow capital money to capital dollars from putting it on a capital 
program for operating expenses. Um, and of course, you know, all roads lead to a parking lot, and that, of course, was solely because they didn't have enough um, operating capital because they spent all their operating capital on the parkade under the condo, which um, meant, which should have been what you should borrow money for. You're building a 50-year asset. That's what you borrow money for, right? In your house, you don't borrow money. You shouldn't be borrowing money for your gas bill. You should be borrowing money for your mortgage, for the for the initial purchase, or for a, a kitchen rental, a large kitchen rental, but not for the regular uh, natural gas bill or electric bill. Those are operating costs, and you need to be able to operate your your business or your operation with those costs in mind. Good. Anything else we want to touch on the AAP there? I think we pretty well covered off on it. It's uh, it's just not a good system. Like Phil says, we have to do some serious thinking of somehow getting the municipalities of British Columbia to go strictly through referendum if it's over $5 million. The, the excuse that they used to use was that to go to a referendum, uh, it's going to cost $70,000 additional cost to the city. But like when they went with the swimming pool and the fire hall, they could have added this $32 million on there with a little bit of planning. Wouldn't have cost them anything. They chose not to do that. There's absolutely no doubt that they use the AAP as another way of getting approval without taking any risks. And we're not paying them for not taking risks. Uh, we're paying them to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. So, uh, And I don't think anybody that follows Prince George municipal politics even remotely would believe that they they're not doing the going to referendum and they're using the AAP because of fiscal responsibility. I, I I think the I think the ship has sailed on the on the city claiming fiscal responsibility for any initiative for for quite a while. There's there's a lot of catch up to do there and a, and, a, and a lot of a lot of actual fiscal responsibility um, to uh, before they can claim we're doing it because it's better for the taxpayer. Um, you know. I, the washroom at Carrie Jane Park is just another prime example of, like, no fiscal responsibility there. So, you know, all of a sudden, when it comes down to a referendum or an AAP, now we're going to be fiscally responsible? Sorry, not yeah, buying that yeah. one. Yeah, they sing whatever song they think people want to hear and get them what they want. So 70000 bucks is too much for a referendum, but 796000 for a washroom at Carrie Jane Gray Park is okay. Yeah. Break. Okay, we're going to go to a breakdown. We'll be back in a few seconds. Thanks. If you're looking for those long forgotten rock songs, then tune in to Beneath the Grooves with Jenny and BC Kid every Saturday night at 8 for deep cut rock tracks from the 60s to the 80s. Hear from well known artists like the Moody Blues and the Alan Parsons Project, as well as obscure acts like Sugarloaf and Madrigal. It's the band you love, but the songs you've forgotten on Beneath the Grooves. Saturday nights at 8 on 93.1 CFIS FM. Big O Tires has new tires just for you. Everything from economy tires to top brand names. They are also a full-service automotive repair center customers trust for expert service and repair of everything from brakes and tire changeovers to steering, suspension, and more. Big O Tires treat every vehicle like it's their own and is proud to be locally owned and operated for 24 years. See Big O Tires in their new location at 2000 Victoria Street, Prince George. 
Working from home is not always easy. Unexpected visitors, pets looking for attention, phone calls, chores, the list of possible interruptions is endless. Get away from the distractions with a rental from the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Rent an office or desk by the month or a desk on a drop-in basis when working from home is getting the better of you. For more information, email q3building at gmail.com. Q3 Creative Business Hub. Open for desk and office rentals at Quebec and 3rd. Forecast from Environment Canada. Rain ending this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind from the south at 20, gusting to 60 and a high of 12. Partly cloudy tonight, more gusting south winds, a low of 5. For Wednesday, mainly cloudy with a 70% chance of showers in the morning, then clearing in the afternoon. Wind from the northwest at 20, gusting to 40 in the morning, a high of 8. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Uh, just a little side note on this. Like the eligible, these uh, ultimate approval processes, <clears throat> you have to get 10% of the eligible voters, not 10% of the number of people that vote, which is an entirely different story. So 10% of those 54,000 and change uh, eligible voters, but usually there's 50, 46 to 50% that actually vote, and that number might be a little bit high. Um, so I'm just looking at the uh, the Four Seasons pool, and they actually, in a referendum, 4,923 people voted for the pool, but if that had gone to a, an alternate approval process, we would have had to have uh, 5,000 some odd people sign a paper saying they couldn't borrow the money. So we actually, and sometimes we need to get more signatures to stop something than they do to vote for it. And it, it's just flim-flam as far as I'm concerned. I'll let Phil comment on that. Yeah, uh, on the referendum, it's a, it's a pass-fail vote. So if there's, if there's one more yes vote than there are, are no votes, then it's passed. So yes, um, more people needed to vote no to borrowing the $32 million and voted yes to borrowing the 35 for the pool. Um, so again, the numbers are a bit, again, it just goes to show how onerous the task is to get 5,500 people out to vote something down. Um, and especially when you're voting down things, again, that generally people agree we need. And so um, a lot of those items, nobody's saying we don't need them. Um, I'm not saying we don't need a floor scrubber. I recognize they're more efficient. Um, but that's an operating expense. It needs to be an operating expense. So you have to have that conversation at 5,500 doors and convince 5,500 people to sign a piece of paper. Um, and before that, somebody has to invest their own money in printing those forms and going to the door if you want to, to have any kind of a chance of voting it down. So the 5,500 is very onerous. Um, in the last election, the councillor with the lowest uh, votes was Corey Ramsey, I believe, and she got just over the 5,500, 56, 5,700. So my question is, what happens if a councillor doesn't reach the 10% threshold should they should we just leave that seat vacant for the for the next term that would be a, that would be a good idea let's try that see see how that goes um so that it's just ridiculously hard to hit those numbers um i th- you know 
uh, Kyle Sampson, who was one of the top vote getters in the last election, only got 8,500, you know, which is, you know, starting to show that there's only, um, I can't remember what the mayor got, 10,000 maybe? 11,000, I think somewhere around 11,000. Right. So 13,000 total say, votes last election. Right. I so 13,000 people voted. And so basically you need to get half of those people with no advertising and no publicity to come out and vote against something in order to, to, to have that have a an open dis- in order to push it to referendum where you can have an open discussion with the with the city on the needs and wants and you know whether it's worth it um so it's just uh, uh a very onerous project and i don't agree that um we should still be we should still be doing it um and you know they i've talked to lots of people at at City Hall, and they say, well, the province allows us to do it. Well, just because it's in the community charter doesn't mean you have to follow it. And the city of Prince George could easily say, we're not going to do it. They could actually put it in a bylaw and say, even though it's allowed, we are. if we want to borrow money in Prince George, we're going to go straight to referendum. And in that bylaw, we can say, and we're going to have a budget for an official, we're going to form an official opposition. And that's how you generate true community debate and true community discussion and really get um, make better decisions for the community as a whole and you know again it's going to make force them to have proper planning proper budgetary things um, uh, foresight and planning and say hey we're going to need a new arena in four years we better start planning on it we better start getting budget and we and we're going to have to borrow money so we better you know get into that process and start that debate and that discussion um you know, I, I think that that's just the only way. They show up at Christmas, uh, they vote, the, they have the budget. There's no discussion of an AAP at the budget meetings. Nobody, at, you know, in not one of those budget meetings, when they pass the budget for this next fiscal, for this fiscal, uh, 2022-23, yeah. did they say we need, in order to make this budget work, we're going to have to borrow X amount of dollars for operating expenses. They pass the budget two weeks later. They come up with an AAP to borrow this money, and it's like, how is that not discussed during the budget meetings? And then they say, well, no, and then they'll say, nobody goes to the budget meetings. Well, yeah, if that's the information we're getting, what's the point? You know, if you're, if you're not going to put stuff on the table, then why am I going to, you know, I have, people are busy, people got lots of things to do, and to go there and try to have a voice um, when you're not even given the information is, you know, is a, is a, is a big ask. And of course that just leads to continuous voter apathy, um, which is in their favor as well. They, they rely on that, which is why they never do take any steps to address voter apathy. Although every once in a while they like to scream, we need more people to vote. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I think the less people will vote, the easier it is for them, but uh, they would never admit that. So, uh, hopefully uh, this will come up as the election issue. Boring as it is, it's because of the process. It's sort of hard to understand. It's some people kind of tend to want to shut their ears off. But uh, when you start looking at borrowing $32 million, $35 million, $25 million, and you have a look at the interest rates over 15, 20 years, you're in for a big shock on how much money this borrowing is costing us. Right. And it should be the last resort, not the first. And I, I get that money is free right now, but if you're watching the news today... Right now, we're looking at a year of uh, small rate increases. Finally, I can't believe they've held off this long. Um, but, you know, 
when you borrow money at the bottom, it's good for a while, but it also has nowhere to go but up, right? So um, at some point, our borrowing costs are gonna are gonna go up. Um, they have to because they can't go any. They couldn't go any lower, um, and that you know again they don't have to factor that in. They don't. They never present the project statement saying here's our assumptions. You know that we're going to borrow this money at three percent so that somebody can say okay, what's the actual cost when interest rates hit five percent? Um, so. The, the requirements to put that information forward, again, for me, what, even on a referendum, there needs to be an official opposition committee that's going to work to share information on the, other, on, the, on the other side, just like any good debate should. Every one of these borrowing referendums, uh, somewhere in the referendum, or if it's an alternate approval process, it gives you a the cost of borrowing number there, and then it's broken down into what that's going to be for a tax increase. So just a something to keep in mind, every time a city's borrowing money over an extended period of time, you're going to get a tax increase to pay for it because you have to pay that interest. And, right. uh, you know, it's as simple as that. So you're actually voting for an increase in taxes. 100%. And you get on that continuous borrowing cycle. If you've never, if you're always borrowing, you just keep that cycle just keeps growing. Now we're borrowing money for operating. So when when we go to borrow money for an actual asset that has a 50 year life, like a like an arena or a performing arts center or other infrastructure that we need, it will go. Um, it will be on top of this other money we borrowed. Is that it? Okay, it looks like that's it for Phil today. That was a good talk, Phil. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. And it uh, gives people a good chance to, uh, or a better chance to understand what's happening. And uh, we'll have you back again a little later on in the year. Thanks. We're going to go uh, after the break. We're going to go and uh, get Peter Ewart online. He's going to talk about shortage of housing uh, and uh, the high rents. So that's a problem not just for Prince George, but it's a problem Canada-wide. But we're certainly right in the middle of it, and uh, something has to be done. Get the motivation you need to be active with Choose to Move. Develop a personal action plan to help meet your goals, choose activities you like, receive one-on-one coaching along with group support, and learn new ways to live a healthier, more active life. Developed by the Active Aging Society along with the province of B.C., Choose to Move is a free program that supports seniors to become and stay active. For more information on Choose to Move, including how to register, visit choosetomove.ca. Your Prince George Public Library is proud to be a part of Hear Our Words, a storytelling showcase. Open to Northern BC Indigenous youth aged 5 to 29, this year's story submissions must be related to the theme Honoring Elders. Prizes will be awarded in five categories, short story, poetry, music or song, visual art, and performance art. Entry submission forms and full details are available at weavingwords.org. Here are words, a storytelling showcase. Submission deadline is May 13th. iSpark is looking for volunteers for their new regional action teams. Teams will provide leadership in the implementation of iSpark's provincial strategy for Indigenous sport, physical activity, and recreation at a local level. Teams will also guide the work of their regional coordinator and support building a broader network of community and organizational stakeholders. For more information on the new regional action teams or for a volunteer application, visit iSpark.ca. The application deadline to become a volunteer 
is March 31st. Miracle Theater's next production is On Golden Pond starting Wednesday through April 17th at the Playhouse. Miracle Theater is donating all proceeds from this year's show to start an endowment for the Prince George Hospice Palliative Care Society with the Prince George Community Foundation. Tickets are available at Books and Company or by phone at 250-563-6637. In support of Prince George Hospice, Miracle Theater's presentation of On Golden Pond Wednesday through April 17th at the Playhouse. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and we have Peter Ewart online. We're going to get into uh, shortage of housing and shortage of rental space. <clears throat> I think Peter's talking primarily about Prince George, but it, it's a Canada-wide pro- pro- problem. So uh, you want to just get right into it, Peter? Yeah, th- well, thank you, Eric. Uh, yeah, the... Uh the city of Prince George commissioned uh, uh, a firm, Urban Matters, to write a, a report on uh, PG housing needs. And uh, th- this, of course, is re- this re- kind of report is required every five years by uh, uh, provincial legislation. And so this was done in 2021. In any case, they, they show various stats in there. They talk about how, like, for example, in 2016, there were 74,000 people in Prince George. Uh, and they project that it, in the next nine or ten years, it'll go up to maybe about 82,000 or so. Uh, in terms of Prince George, uh, the report uh, identifies the average age of uh, uh, of the residents in Prince George is about 38, which is actually younger than the provincial average of 43. In any case, some of the key areas of the population include uh, 8,000 families with children, over 11,000 seniors, over 11,000 indigenous people, 4,200 students, 8,500 8, people living alone, uh, 168 homeless people, and so on. But what was shocking about the report was about how many of these groups of population are vulnerable in terms of their housing needs. For example, in terms of the cost of housing, the average rental unit prices in Prince George increased 66% between 2005 and 2020. So just over 15 years, it went up 66%. Then the average price of a home increased 140% in just the four years between 2016 and 2020. And of course, this is at a time when wages and income for many people have been, you know, basically stagnating for, for a long time. Yeah, we have these huge and, and very rapid cost increases in housing, you know, which are added to the other um, inflationary pressures that are happening right now. Equally shocking, though, in the report is how many housing units, both rental and non-rental, as well as house and apartment, are needed in Prince George. According to the report, there's more than um, 10,000 new units of housing will, will need to be created over the next 10 years. And to compound the problem right now, the city's vacancy rate hit its lowest rate in more than a decade, and it stands now at 2.2%. But according to uh, analysts and so on, anything below 3% puts a lot of added pressure on renters in terms of uh, rent increases and availability and so on. So. 5,000 of these 10,000 housing units will actually need to be rental units. And, and we see this in Prince George right now, like there's a, 
you know, you, you, you drive down to the corner of Highway 16 and 97 and you see uh, apartments going up and you see apartments at 15th and Foothills being constructed and, and other parts of the city. But the fact is, according to the report anyway, many people may not be able to afford the, the, the rates for these new places and many more units will be needed over the next decade. So just to give a bit of a breakdown in terms of just what some of the housing needs for the different sectors of the population will be. So we'll need uh, 2,500 plus additional rental subsidized units. You know, this is for young people, single people, one-parent households, and, and so on. And, and that figure is added on onto the many who are uh, who need subsidized subsidies right now. You know, and one of the problem right now, like if you get on a wait list for subsidization, it can take several years. Uh, you know, for uh, you to wait. So the other thing is uh, long-term. Another uh, sector that uh, needs housing in a serious way. Long-term housing for seniors. You know, but that, that's often provided by profits. Needed need over 300 units, along with another 160 units for special needs. And uh, so, what, what's also lacking is, you know, the whole continuum of need from independent living to, to, to care homes. You know, so there's a real serious issue there for uh, seniors in terms of uh, what kind of housing is going to be available. And, and then, then you just get into apartments, townhouses, suites, single-family homes for rent, and so on. You're going to need something like 5,000 plus. Then another sector is the indigenous housing needs. The report notes that indigenous people need housing, which facilitates in integration while maintaining cultural identity, and uh, and this is currently lacking. And then there's emergency shelter units for homeless people. You know, we have uh, where additional 72 spaces is needed. And uh, the report notes that this population is currently not getting the services it needs. And we have the highest per capita homeless in, in the province. And there's other sectors as well that the uh, report identifies. Anyway, the, the point is that the report makes clear that a large portion of the population is not having their housing needs met. And to address our housing needs, Thousands of housing units will have to be built over the next uh, few years. So where is this population increase coming from? Uh, a, a lot of the people who move uh, are registered as moving from place to place or whatever. They do so from, or from home to apartment and so on. They do, do so from within the region, you know, which um, you know, suggests that uh, possibly uh, Retired people from smaller communities and people uh, from smaller communities seeking employment and education uh, are, are coming to Prince George. You know, after all, like we have this uh, centralization in Prince George of health, social services, government, justice offices, post-secondary education, and so on. So uh, that's a that's a draw as well. And then, of course, there's even people fleeing higher higher prices in other jurisdictions like Vancouver. You know, um, one of the things is that, uh, you know, in that regard, Prince George is often talked about as a hub for all sorts of amenities and uh, economic measures and so on. 
but what often doesn't get mentioned is that the city and the region is smack in the middle of a huge continental economic corridor. Transportation, oil and gas pipelines, rail and road, electrical energy, that stretches from the high Arctic, Nunavut, Northwest Territories, Northern Saskatchewan and Alberta, the Peace Country, down to Prince George, and then finally out to Prince Rupert. And that whole corridor is still in development. And for me, it reinforces the, the fact that the, the, this town uh, is not going away. It's going to survive. There can be ups and downs, but uh, uh, we're, we're definitely not going away. But we will have to do something about the cost of housing and rents, according to this report. And there will have to be subsidies and, you know, from different levels of government. And then okay, Peter, I'm going to have to get in there, Peter. We've got to get the signal to go for a break. Thanks. Cold Snap, the Prince George Winter Music Festival, is back for its 15th year. The popular festival runs from Friday to April 2nd. Shows will be at Adadene Bayo and the Knox Performance Venue, audience capacities adhering to provincial COVID protocols. Free workshops will also be presented throughout the week at the Amanika Arts Centre, with all available through live streaming. Cold Snap, the Prince George Winter Music Festival, Friday to April 2nd. For tickets or more information, visit their website, coldsnapfestival.com. The Council of Seniors has once again partnered with the Community Volunteer Income Tax Program to help low-income seniors file their income tax. 15-minute appointments are available on Tuesday mornings between 9 and 11 and Thursday afternoons between 1 and 3 through the end of April. For qualification details and to book an appointment, call the Council of Seniors at 250-564-5888 or stop by the Seniors Resource Center at 7th and Victoria. World Schizophrenia Day is Tuesday, May 24th, and once again, BCSS is reaching out to landmarks across BC to show support for people affected by schizophrenia and psychosis by lighting up in purple. If you or your organization would like to participate, email info at bcss.org. Light up in purple and show your support for everyone affected by schizophrenia and psychosis on World Schizophrenia Day, Tuesday, May 24th. Forecast from Environment Canada. Rain ending this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. Winds in the south at 20, gusting to 60 and a high of 12. Partly cloudy tonight, more gusting south winds, a low of 5. For Wednesday, mainly cloudy with a 70% chance of showers in the morning, then clearing in the afternoon. Winds from the northwest at 20, gusting to 40 in the morning, a high of 8. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Peter, I'm going to just hang on to you till the uh, another segment of the program, and then we'll get more into the the housing part of it, which is a serious, serious problem. I see the news today, 23% increase in houses and rentals in Vancouver over last year, $3,000 a month for a two-bedroom apartment. So that's not good. So what we'll do is go to... Uh, Herb and get his uh, information that he has on firefighting and that. And in the last segment, we can kick the whole, both subjects around uh, for a wrap-up. Okay, Herb? Yeah, uh, basically, uh, there was some uh, news came out uh, just recently that uh, uh, BC government is spending three-quarters of a billion dollars to build up capacity in wildfire uh, over the next three years. Uh, But if you start looking at the numbers carefully, uh, it looks like most of that uh, it is uh, uh, consists of well, 400 million dollars to emergency management BC uh, to improve its flood and fire response and extend its work to debris removal and cleanup. 
another $210 million allocated to the uh, Community Fire Smart Program, the Community Emergency Preparedness Fund, and community-level work to improve dikes, floodplain mapping, and other risk reduction activities. There's the only thing really uh, specifically for uh, fire mitigation uh, it was to be a $98 million fund uh, for uh, wildfire prevention work, and that's, again, over three years. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a positive step, but, uh, but it's, uh, you know, not, uh, not, it's all, not all it's cracked up to be by the headlines anyway. So, you know, one, one thing that uh, I wish someone would start looking at, and, and I think that's why we need another review of, uh, of, of forestry in B.C., is, is the, uh, 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 our, our fire response. I mean, the, the costs are escalating over the last five years. The average money that uh, B.C. has spent on fighting fires is $475 million per year. Uh, as I've uh, commented previously, uh, you know, in, in, in 2020, the, uh, the revenue to the government from all stumpage uh, was less than 400. So this is, um, it's not a sustainable uh, situation, especially in light of some of these gigantic uh, fire years that we're starting to have. Uh, one thing that's uh, sort of a glaring, um, uh, uh, I don't know, a missed opportunity for me is, is the, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, Canada has developed one of the best firefighting aircraft in the world, the CL-415. Uh, it's sold all over the world. Um, the uh, the rights to it has actually been purchased by a B.C. company called Viking Air. They, they now manufacture them uh, in B.C. And um, uh, B.C. actually has none. We, have, we, uh, we contract uh, all the firefighting uh, aircraft from... Um, a company called Con Air. You know, we basically just uh, uh, rent them or lease them, I guess. Um, and uh, over the last um, uh, five years, uh, Con Air has been paid $96 million. Now, fundamentally, the Con Air fleet is uh, based of tankers. They have some very small uh, crop dusters equipped with pontoons that are a, a poor imitation of uh, CL-415. And... Um, uh, the, the, you know, it basically aren't getting the job done. You know, we, we looked at last year, we had fires in Prince George that, uh, that were unattended for over a week and, and grew to, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 hectares. This is where we need uh, initial attack uh, with, with a large uh, scooper aircraft that can t- take water from nearby uh, lakes or, or, or rivers, that, uh, and that's what the CL-415 can do. And that's we, we, you know, we've got to start looking at um, seriously spending some money and uh, in improving our uh, rapid response uh, to, to these fires because, uh, well, we can't we can't afford it in the long term to to lose our forest base. I mean, over, over the last five years, we've lost something like uh, well, close to well over over three million uh, hectares, um, considering the. Um, the, the, the forestry base in BC is 20 million. We're we're starting to really eat into our long-term uh, capacity as a as a forest reliant uh, uh, province to um, to sustain a forest industry. Yeah, <clears throat> I have to agree with you on that. The uh, seems like every subject we bring up is a problem. There's a problem, 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 and. Uh, 
and uh, they all go back to the government or what the government's doing or what they're not doing. Uh, I don't know, forest fires. I mean, sometimes these things become the story in themselves. Like, I was watching a, a deal on TV the other night, and Lytton was on there, and this was PBS or uh, the Knowledge Network or something, but it was showing Lytton and, and what happens when there's a wildfire and and uh, and then they attribute it to climate change. But, you know, if you drive around Prince George and other towns in north-central B.C., you'll see that half the country is set to go up if anybody happens to inadvertently drop a cigarette or a match. I mean, uh, the whole countryside is just dry grass and ready to roll. So uh, we need mitigation in those areas. And, uh, you know, if you get into a town that has, and we have some areas in Prince George where they haven't done the proper work, they're going to burn, and they won't have anything to do with the environment. It's just that fires burn. And uh, we've had forest fires here for thousands of years. It's not new. They call them wildfires now, and there's a reason for that. It's because it's dried forest, I guess. But anyway, uh, I guess we just kick this around, and also the housing, Peter, we're going to go for a break first, though. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is adding to their education presentations with in-person presentations. Learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians Wednesday from noon to 1.30 at the Prince George Public Library for the presentation Living Safely with Dementia. To register or for more information, call the First Link Dementia Hotline at 1-800-936-6033. The Alzheimer's Society of BC bringing you support and information for dementia at alzbc.org. College of New Caledonia Community and Continuing Education has the training you need to pivot in your career. Learn the fundamentals of medical technology in both written and spoken forms with the Medical Technology course. Students must have strong English skills and the ability to handle a challenging workload. The course runs Tuesday and Thursday evenings from 6 to 9, starting May 3rd through June 21st. Contact Community and Continuing Education at CNC for more information. Registration deadline is Monday, April 18th. If you attended a federal Indian day school, now is your time to make your claim. If you experience harm at your school, you may be eligible to receive a check for compensation. Remember, you need to make your claim before July 13th, 2022. See if your school is on the list and get free legal help. Start at IndianDaySchools.com or call 1-844-539-3815. Claim what's yours. Buckle your shoes, buy some running gear, and start your training to run, sprint, walk, or skip at the BMO Run for Hope. The BCSS Foundation is part of this year's run, and you can participate virtually or in person on Sunday, May 1st. Funds raised will go towards schizophrenia education, advocacy, and research. Registration and full details are available through the Ways to Give link at bcssfoundation.org. Join in to help out the BMO Run for Hope, May 1st, virtually or in person. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And we're probably badly back and forth on these two subjects. Uh, just maybe, Herb, have you got a few comments on the housing rental shortage? Yeah, well, the the new uh, developments, I, I've taken a look at them, and they're uh, incredibly expensive. Uh, you're looking at over 1400 bucks a month for a one-bedroom if you uh, include the uh, parking spot. 
So yeah, no, they they, they one of the places actually do, does does offer you free water. I mean, they say they're not going to charge you for the water. So that's that's kind of a, a positive uh, positive development development there. But they're they're having a hard time renting it. They're constantly uh, on uh, social media trying to get people to come down and look at them. But uh, a lot of the comments which they wipe out periodically are that this is way too expensive for Prince George, and um, uh, they should give their head a shake. Well, I certainly agree with that, and, and we need to, uh, or, or the government, somebody needs, to, and even private business, needs to look at this as a serious problem, and in some cases maybe back off all the charges from the uh, the various government charges, various business charges, and that. A lot of it uh, borderline gouging, and nobody's talking about it, paying way too much for houses, way too much for rent. People are in dire straits because they got no place to go. They can't buy gas to drive their cars anymore. And part of that is the uh, taxes, I think 13, 14% of your your tax at the pump or your gas at the pump is uh, federal or provincial gas taxes. So people are getting nailed you know, right in center and uh, we're getting this patchwork band-aid sort of Mentality that we do a little bit here and a little bit there. Do you want to comment on that, Peter? Uh, yeah, I agree that the, the patchwork uh, method is not going to work here, right? Uh, you know, like uh, all the levels of government are going to have to be involved in this, right? You know, because uh, you know there's considerable amount of subsidies that are that have to be put put into play. You know, there's a there's a, a slogan or by bywords uh, from from the past. That I think are appropriate here in terms of housing, right? That housing should be accessible, affordable, and appropriate. And um, I think one of the critical things is is to uh, have mechanisms to capture, to involve people, right? To involve the, the seniors, involve the indigenous people, involve uh, you know the young young renters or, or the young household owners. You know, in terms of finding the solutions for this problem, you know, because it's a big one. You know, like even if we look on a world scale, what's happening, you know, like this is one of the characteristics of this period is that you have huge amounts of money, uh, billions and trillions of dollars being made by a very small number of multinational corporations and so on, whereas everyone else is getting squeezed, you know, right down to the... The, you know the the rental for as Herb was saying there the rental for apartments and uh, this is unsustainable. You know we need uh, we need a situation where I, I believe anywhere where we need to uh, involve the population in this problem, solving this problem, and finding mechanisms to do it. You know in a in a democratic way. You know because uh, uh, without that, uh, you know the problems will just get worse. I'm looking at a headline in. Uh I think it was in the CBC. In any event, I have it. Uh, uh, Union pitches Burnaby Project as game changer for affordable housing. I haven't had a chance to go through it, but basically uh, they're going to come up and build some houses that are going to be somewhat cheaper than uh, the model we're using now. Of course, uh, the regular developers say that they can't build it, that uh, it's too uh, restrictive to try to build it what they have in mind, but uh, there's other ways of building it without just the, uh, the developers because now the union will be the developers. So uh, these things are starting to, starting to come, but if that's a model that works, 
then at some point I think we we have to go to the city and say, you're going to have to change the model. You've got more than one model. You're going to have to start supplying land. We're going to have to start doing things differently. And we did it before. You could get a lot from the city when they uh, auctioned them off for $20,000. They could go back to that. The trouble is they got too much pressure from the people that support them and uh, vote for them that they don't want to do that. What do you think, Herb? Yeah, well, I mean, definitely the city could be developing new lots. Um, you know, it, it all depends down to the, to the you know, comes comes down to the uh, the taxpayer and Prince George and the, and the homeowner. I mean, at some point, um, you know, the the houses, and I think we've reached that point, are just out of reach for for most people. And uh, we've got to start developing some new lots and uh, new areas for developments. And, and this is something the the municipal government can do in conjunction with the province and maybe even even the federal government, and uh, look for some funding for uh, for doing that, putting in services and um, and and getting some new development in in Prince George. Okay, I guess we're just about ready to roll here. Nine fifty-five. Uh, Peter, you got a you got a kind of a wrap-up comment there. Uh, well, I guess I would say that uh, we, we need some big-picture big thinking on these things, right? You know, like when we look at this rental, uh, this housing thing and all the problems with rents and cost of buying a house and so on, you know, uh, like as was said at the beginning there, you know, patchwork things that just don't, aren't what's needed, right? We need some big-picture thinking in terms of uh, how do we uh, tackle this, you know, so that all the sectors, whether you're seniors or, or young people coming into the market uh, and, um, and, and others, right? Uh, so I, I think that that's, that's important that, uh, anyway, that we demand that of, um, of the uh, elected representatives, that both the, the like housing, the, the issue of housing costs and rentals and all this kind of stuff, it, it, it's at all levels of government. It's at the municipal level, provincial level, and federal level, you know, in, in one way or another those levels of government are involved. But we don't have the, the mechanisms to involve the citizenry in discussing, you know, w- what can be ways forward that, that work that are accessible, affordable, and appropriate. You know, and I, and I think we need to think about that as well. Okay, Peter. Uh, Herb, you got a wrap-up comment there? Uh, yeah, I just want to go, go back to my uh, favorite favorite pet peeve here, the, uh, the lack of CL-415s in B.C. So, yeah, worldwide, there's uh, 164 uh, of these planes uh, around. Uh, in Canada, there's 64, and BC, we've got none. So we basically rely on Conair to pull the Alberta ones over here when they can, but uh, we don't have them, and that's that's a it's a big hole in our uh, in our repertory or or the, uh, the 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 team of aircraft that we have to to fight fires in BC, and it's something that we uh, we really need. And it's something that uh, people should be pressuring uh, their local um, MLA to try and get some get some action done. We we could use a couple of them up up north, um, uh, uh, definitely. And I think that's with the with the Kelowna hitting 18 degrees today. I think uh, it's something we have to start up have to start thinking about pretty soon. Yeah, I agree 100. percent All these things need to be looked at and retooled and. Uh you know, even, uh, I mean, we could even make a case that, uh, and I'm not joking, we can make a case that if you want to go out and rent a house and or build a house, you're actually, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know what the word is it for, but, you know, you're being discriminated, not discriminated against, but it's harassment. You're being harassed by red tape and everything else, and it drives you crazy, and it's detrimental to your health that people have to go through all this just to find a way to live. And those that are, uh, fortunately for them, better off, don't have all those problems. I mean, uh, we have a responsibility as a society to stop this and start to change things. And, uh, you know, if the, the elected people that we have now don't want to start you know being proactive uh, uh, on this issue then we have to get rid of them and that's it for after nine today thank you talk to you next week after nine is a daily presentation of cfis fm after nine is produced by alan wishart echo wiley trudy clausen and rez krebs executive producer is reg fair with technical assistance from stephen smith additional contributors include cbc news and the national campus and community radio association theme music is by the ebbs for a rebroadcast of today's program check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca to provide feedback or suggestions for the show please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 96.9.